I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News and author of the best-selling book, Breaking the News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. On today's show, we open with the Johnny Depp-Amber Heard trial verdict and key takeaways. Is this the end of hashtag MeToo, or was it already dead? Perhaps this trial was actually the best entertainment we've seen from Hollywood in years, though the non-woke Top Gun might also have a claim to that title. Tom Cruise could make $200 million from the blockbuster, and he's thumbing his nose at China. Then, as always these days, I give the horrifying economic news du jour, and what makes things worse, it's clear that we're not taking obvious steps to help ourselves, and the White House is totally incoherent on what can be done about it and what they're doing. Then, as has also been the tradition, an extra long roundup of wokeness. The U.S. government and international conglomerates began Pride Month big by signaling their virtue with a lot of pandering to the intersex and two-spirit communities. But don't be fooled, it's mostly about power and money and not about genuine empathy. And finally, a breakdown of the shockingly compelling L.A. mayoral race and a few other key headlines in the opening of the show. Our guest today is freelance journalist and news producer Vanessa Blair, who was in the room for the Depp Heard trial. She provides some excellent reporting and analysis that you won't want to miss. Let's get into it. begin today with the biggest news of the day, and there's no close second to what is the biggest news of the day, and it is the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Now, this is the sort of thing that I don't always talk about a ton on the broadcast because I don't know what I could necessarily add uh, beyond what is out there at every other media outlet and leading every uh, the, the main, main page, homepage across the internet, um, but it is the biggest story on the planet because the jury concluded that Amber Heard committed def- defamation against Johnny Depp. Um, those of you who think I might be joking that I'm bringing this up, I, I recall that Breitbart News uh, began in Hollywood by Andy Breitbart, a guy who was basically leading a group of clandestine conservatives within Hollywood and declared that the culture is upstream of politics. Um, so this is something that the audience is just absolutely mad for. But the key beats of the trial was that Amber Heard had written a op-ed in the Washington Post in 2018. She's a famous actress um, uh, that was very beautiful, kind of not well put together in this courtroom, which I commented on uh, earlier, but it is typically a very beautiful person and uh, in a lot of movies and has made a good deal of money, but not like Johnny Depp, who's made hundreds of millions of dollars in Hollywood, and uh, she basically accused him of domestic abuse, and she thought she could get away with it by not naming him, but it was very clear from the context she was referring to him uh, when she wrote the piece, and uh, he, uh, Johnny Depp sued her for $50 million, claiming that she had uh, harmed his movie career, which she uh, undoubtedly had, by accusing him of being some sort of a serial abuser and predator, and uh, she countersued him for $100 million, and they made wild accusations against each other, and the court, the trial was broadcast on things like Court TV and all over YouTube, and people listened to hours and hours of testimony, 
and uh, it, it is they had some some real highlights and lowlights. Uh, I, I apologize, is it too early to hear this? But I think the most viral moment of the trial, where uh, Johnny Depp uh, alleged that Amber Heard had defecated in his bed, and then she blamed it on a teacup Yorkie. This is real stuff. This happened. <laughs> I, I don't know if I don't know if it happened, happened, but I know that the the testimony certainly did. And then dramatic explanations of physical assault, including bottles thrown by Heard at Johnny Depp, resulting in a middle finger that's basically severed, uh, and other claims of abuse. And the, uh, the, the there's just more details that are just unbelievable that, uh, that we all have at Breitbart.com and I'll cross the internet here to get more graphic than that. But this is something that really captivated the world, which was noteworthy because the average social media interaction was we were seeing something like at the peak of this three times more social media interactions on this topic than on the issue of abortion. And this is peak when Roe v. Wade, the uh, alleged decision we may or may not see from Supreme Court this summer got leaked online. We're talking about five times as much engagement on this topic than the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, we're talking about 10 times more, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 10 times more engagement than on the coronavirus. So it's something that everyone was talking about, and uh, it was a pretty interesting entertainment value. But the jury concluded Johnny Depp won a $15 million defamation suit. Amber Heard also won a partial $2 million win in a counterclaim um, but the jury ended up siding with Depp on all of his charges or all of his claims against her. Uh, she will not have to pay this much amount of that much money. I don't think she's got that much. Her biggest movies to date have been two Aquaman movies. I don't know if the second one's out yet, um, but those paid her a million and two million dollars each. So th there's no way she's that liquid. So uh, the, that's the big question is, will she have to pay for it? I think ultimately she's on the hook for about eight million dollars because there's some rules that uh, limit some of the, 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 the jury suggested she weigh, she has to pay more in some cases than is actually legal. So I think it's going to turn out to be about 8 million in all. And uh, she's not going to, she's not going to have that sort of cheese. So uh, that could be very painful because it could mean she's making a lot of movies to pay Johnny Depp, one of the richest movie stars of all time. Even though Depp himself famously wasted a bunch of money. There was a story on how he spent something like $600 million dollars on bad real estate deals and bad business deals. But the details of the trial were just unbelievable. At one point it came out that uh, that Amber Heard, who had made a big donation to the left-wing ACLU, $1.3 million in total. Uh, but actually Elon Musk had paid nearly half of that. She had promised to donate $3.5 million, so she paid less than half, almost a third of it in total. And Depp had paid 100000 of that $1.3 million, and Elon Musk had paid half of it. And Heard had paid 350000 Though publicly, I guess she was credited for $3.5 million at the time, and that was bogus. She changed her story three times on the stand, at least, that we counted. There was a photo that she showed of her being bruised, allegedly from Johnny Depp, that a, a data expert online who testified in the trial said that the exhibit looked like it was manipulated. So it was actually a enhanced photo, according to metadata expert Brian Neumeister. 
So this is noteworthy because this was peak Me Too when this was coming out. Maybe not peak Me Too, maybe on the, uh, the, the tail end of the biggest Me Too moment. She put out a big statement online. I won't read the whole thing to you, but she says that she uh, basically pled that she no longer has the right to have free speech. But you can't have free speech when you're lying about someone and trying to ruin their career, which is what Me Too was, was all about. It was, let's face it. It started out as Harvey Weinstein is allegedly preying on women and doing it in really horrible ways. And he's part of a bigger culture in Hollywood. Everyone was on board with that. We were like, yep, let's go get him. Let's go get the bad guys. And then it turned into people blowing out of proportion, uh, bad breakups, bad relationships, and trying to get revenge on people that they, they had falling outs with. And that's where it was. And not just that, getting sometimes it was about trying to vindicate your own past personal behavior. So it got so far away from what it meant in the beginning. And that was sort of the hot take online that was most common that I saw was this is finally the end of the believe all women narrative. Now, those of you in my audience, I'm sure that you thought the end of the believe all women narrative was... I don't know when Bill Clinton was credibly accused of rape by Juanita Broderick and a sexual assault by others, and people didn't ignore that. The uh, smears against just, Justice Kavanaugh um, that were just just got increasingly absurd. But it it is one where you would think that oh, and of course uh, Tara Reid credibly accusing Joe Biden of uh, of a violent sexual assault against her that the media completely ignored among other things about the Bidens. But a lot of people online saying uh, hashtag me too is officially over. I, I don't know. I, I For me, it was definitely over during the Tara Reid saga. But it does seem like this has gone mainstream. And that's a good thing. Me too needs, needed to end for everyone, not just people on the right. That's the take online. And that's probably why it's somewhat relevant, even those of you who don't care about it in terms of the spectator sport. What's fascinating, though, is that the trial itself was more viral than most of the movies that Hollywood's putting out these days. And Johnny Depp's been on the bench for a while, partially because of this. Amber Heard in general is pretty good in movies. She's a pretty good actress, at least in the movies I've seen. But I don't think I, I can't name a ton of movies. I know I've seen her in a bunch of stuff. I recall she's typically pretty good. But, I mean, what's Hollywood putting out? They're not putting out that much that people really need to see. It's just content. It doesn't capture the imagination the way this did for the country. I think a lot of people saw their own narratives in it. And I think a lot of people on the right saw this as a vindication of our claim that Me Too got out of control. I think a lot of people on the left saw this as a uh, big feminist thing. I think free speech purists kind of might want you to be able to defame someone in the Washington Post. So the debates were pretty wild. And now it's over. Um, uh, we'll continue with a couple cultural items. Uh, Tom Cruise could earn nearly $200 million for his non-woke Top Gun sequel. Uh, Tom Cruise, who's got a lot of money, uh, tends to bet on himself. And he uh, tends to take back-end growths is how he structures his deal. So he bets that the movie's going to be a hit and he'll get paid when uh, the... When the money comes in. And in a couple cases, I think he's actually been offered $100 million flat out 
for a movie, base pay. And he always denies it because he just wants, he wants that back end money. And I think he's made close to a hundred million before. Um, the, but the, the most famous, I think examples of this are Bruce Willis, I think ended up with 120 million from the six cents when the six cents got really big. Cause he had taken a ton of back end on that. So this is something that I think, uh, Cruz could surpass by a long shot because why they made a movie. He's not woke. It's fun. People like it. He doesn't go out there on Twitter and is a generic guy who hates on Trump alienating a bunch of his audience. They thumb their nose at China. They uh, poke their finger in the eye of Communist Party in Beijing. So masculine, pro-American, fun, no baloney. And it could be, for Cruz, biggest payday in the history of Hollywood. And will people learn lessons from this? I sure hope so. But I'm not holding my breath yet. That that's going to be the case. Yeah, Taiwan cheers as Tom Cruise's gun, uh, Top Gun jacket has a Taiwan flag on it and a Japan flag. And it's this big patch that's got the American flag, Taiwanese flag, Japanese flag, all in one patch on the back of his jacket. And this is a new development. It was originally this patch wasn't going to be on and then it was famously put back on. F you to China, clearly what it is, which is great. And the, uh, the he's being rewarded for it. Um, he might be the only person, though, who's doing well financially in America. If you look at what's going on right now. Gas prices rose five cents overnight. So we're now record four point six seven dollars a gallon. Keep going and going and going. I mentioned this in yesterday's broadcast that so there's no indication it's slowing down. So uh, uh, nearly 50% up, uh, I'm sorry, nearly 50 cents up last week and now five cents up yesterday. Just keep pointing this out. JP Morgan Chase raised concerns that the national average gas price could increase to $6 a gallon. Recall that in Oregon, or it was either Oregon or Washington, they're actually, they had to update the software on their uh, gas pumps because they were anticipating $10 a gallon. So they can only go up to 9.99. So they have to retrofit the machines. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase warned that there were storm clouds looming over the U.S. economy, and now he's upgraded that to a hurricane. I said there were storm clouds, big storm clouds. It's a hurricane, he said at conference on Wednesday. Right now, it's kind of sunny. Things are doing fine. Everyone thinks the Fed can handle it. The hurricane is right out there down the road coming our way. We don't know if it's a minor one or a superstorm Sandy. You better brace yourself. How does that feel, uh, people who thought that Trump's tweets were too annoying and you had to put Biden in there? Biden reportedly blamed his aides for the 40-year high inflation, not AIDS, A-I-D-S, A-I-D-E-S. You got to clarify that stuff. According to a report that was actually in the Washington Post of all places, you're starting to see White House staff leak against each other. So there's clearly some panic going on. There's been a lot of turnover, famously, in the Biden administration so far in the first year and a half. And I, I mentioned on the show a couple of days ago, there's a mass exodus of black staffers in particular. So all the pandering, not good enough, I guess. 
But uh, the Biden inflation will cost the average American household $5,200 this year, $433 a month, according to Bloomberg. Uh, of course, the many families that provide the backbone of our uh, tax revenue will be hit much harder than that. So Biden has grumbled the top White House officials over the administration's handling of inflation, expressing frustration over the past several months that aides are not doing enough to confront the problem directly, according to the Post. Pass the buck. He's a buck passer. He played shocking audio on yesterday's show of, of Janet Yellen, um, the Treasury Secretary who was the head of the Fed, who completely missed everything that's going on here negative in the economy. It is a major shift in the narrative that I kind of put together on the show uh, yesterday morning. If you play back the broadcast or listen to the podcast, right, Britain News Daily podcast. And I had John Carney, our economic and finance editor, kind of go through and see what's, uh, what's up with Yellen. And he found a bunch of examples where she's basically on an apology tour now. There was an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal on inflation, John CNN confessing that he made the wrong call of inflation being transitory and emphasizing that the administration now agrees with Americans that inflation's way too high. And we don't know if she came through from a big meeting with her and uh, Jerome Powell, who runs the Federal Reserve, on a plan to bring down inflation. Uh, is there some sort of big monetary and fiscal policy crusade to resurrect price stability without toppling the economy into a punishing recession, Carney writes? Of course not. Uh, it, it is now only about addressing inflation and according to the narrative she's putting forward, which indicates it's a political thing, trying to contain political damage Noteworthy in the meeting in the Oval Office, it's Biden and Powell maskless. Yellen's got the mask on. So I'm just wondering where she gets her information. She's still got the bogus mask on. And uh, she's no idea to do her job. I did accept her resignation yesterday. She didn't offer it, but I accepted it. Proactively. We're, we like to think ahead here on the show. Carney writes, the Biden administration operates in accordance with a theory of magical policymaking. The theory holds that reality is really a matter of perception and that perceptions can be changed with the right combination of words. Change the representation of reality and you can change reality itself. And he lists examples like the, using the word transitory, corporate greed, Putin's price hikes, and now laser focus on inflation. As if that's going to that's gonna make a difference to all of you and your bank account. It will not. So many bad decisions on energy. Despite abundant and safe nuclear power, reactors continue to shut down in the United States. Can't spend the whole day litigating nuclear reactors, but we keep shutting down ones that should be working. Recall, everyone loves France. France gets, I think, something like three quarters of their, their energy from nuclear. I don't have the updated data, but it's ballpark. We shut it down. Why? Some people are put off by it. You can feel confident, though. You can feel very, very confident that the White House is focused on the right stuff. For example, joining our LGBTQIA2 plus partners 
So huge amounts of pandering going on, and it starts from President Big Joey himself, who has paid homage to intersex identity for Pride Month this year. Those of you who did not sleep through all day yesterday, you witnessed a comically hilarious level of rainbow flags being posted on the social web. And currently we're going through, we're going to do a big roundup at Brightport.com of all the corporations, particularly those who have branches in the Middle East and Africa and places that are hostile towards either homosexuals or trans or both. Now, you know, some parts of the Muslim world, they're anti-homosexual, but they're okay with trans because they believe that if you are a, think you're homosexual, you're actually not a homosexual, you're the wrong gender. So they're okay with you being trans. This is true. Next time Frances Martel's on, uh, she can give me some examples of which countries kind of buy into this. But that is not a joke, as Biden used to say. But places like BMW, Cisco Systems, Coke, Mercedes-Benz, and Pfizer all uh, do big business in those parts of the world and yet change their Twitter headers to uh, gay pride flags. A lot of the others pin pride tweets to the top of their timelines like Boeing, Microsoft, and Procter and & Gamble. And there'll be many more. We'll be trying to track them all down at Breitbart News. I know the hypocrisy argument doesn't matter to these people, but I think it becomes hilarious at a certain point and it loses its power. Um, and again, as we've been trying to point out over and over on the show, I don't know why if you were an L or a G or even a B, why you would want to be a part of a T, Q or an I. I don't know what the A means. I don't know what the plus stands for. The two stands for two spirit which I've not looked up until I'm kind of looking it up right now. And I don't think I'm going to read it to you. It is another thing that they've added to this list. I don't know what it means, but I'll, I'll dig into it some more. But I've intentionally not looked it up because uh, as we pointed out yesterday uh, at Breitbart, the headline we had on the front page, LGBTQIA2+, this year, more letters and a number. So Biden's energy department has flown the trans flag while gas prices have hit a record high and has declared that this month, next month, and always is Pride Month. And they stand with the intersex community and the two-spirit community. Oh no, this one doesn't have two-spirit. They're ignoring the two-spirits at energy.gov. Those of you who are really woke, you should send them a message that uh, you're a two-spirit individual and uh, you feel like you've been dis disenfranchised and discriminated against. But imagine an energy crisis on the level that we have. Imagine the amount of resources we have sitting underground in Texas, sitting underground in Pennsylvania with fracking, sitting underground just north of our border that could get to us via the Keystone XL. And they're focused on uh, whether or not you should put the two or not put the two in the LGBTQIA plus pandering to the trans in Pride Month. Some gay people in my life reached out privately and others that I follow online that work for us, Breitbart or periphery of what we do, Breitbart. A lot of complaining online about how this is any good that the uh, Pride Month would have stood for has now been totally hijacked. Biden's federal agencies post images of progress pride flag, which includes stripes for trans. And also there's a black and brown stripe that now I think is meant to include racial discrimination. 
You can use every color, every letter, maybe every number. Good, fine, looks so ridiculous. U.S. Marine Corps celebrated Pride Month with rainbow bullets. U.S. Marines tweeted throughout June, the USMC takes hashtag pride in recognizing and honoring contributions of our LGBTQ service members. We have a lot of uh, T, T service members. Interesting. We remain committed to fostering an environment free from discrimination and defend the values of treating all equal equally with dignity and respect and there's a photo with rainbow bullets i don't know if they're actually producing those that can't be just it's just i hope it's just art it's bad enough if it's just art a growing number of pride parades are banning police participation so there is a lot of hangover i guess from the defund the police movement that's kind of going away but not fast enough Um, Efforts in San Francisco and Seattle, as well as Minnesota, are banning police from parades. This is actually interesting because even though pride marches uh, across the country are telling police you can't officially participate, uh, I'm not sure if this is a good thing. Uh, They're telling them this allegedly because of police shootings of black Americans according to a report in Axios who broke this news. But I don't see how this doesn't backfire because apparently these events are also a networking opportunity so that the cops can get to know a community that's allegedly discriminated against. So if you're trashing the people who could potentially protect you from violent attacks, I don't know if that's logically sound, but again, logically sound, not not that important, I guess. Biden's also announced the Office of Environmental Justice for Communities of Color. This is through the Office of the Health and Human Services run by the absurd Javier Becerra, the least qualified person in Biden's cabinet, a cabinet that includes Pete Buttigieg in it, as well as the ridiculous Merrick Garland, who was talking about January the 6th at his Harvard commencement speech. Wow, he's he's a deep man. Um, Javier Becerra is wearing a mask, cloth mask. Oh, I think he's got double mask on. He might be double masking in this one. Uh, Biden's not wearing a mask. So the mass theater continues. Sarah writes that the, or notes the blunt truth is many communities across the nation, particularly low-income communities and communities of color continue to bear the brunt of pollution from industrial development, poor land use decisions, transportation, and trade corridors. Is this not absurd to most of the country that this is what's going on right now? We've got the biggest, we're on the brink of the biggest economic crisis in 14 years. We're probably already in it. We could hit a recession. Americans are spending $5,200 a year. Even if you choose from the left slate of issues, you've got perhaps the overturning of Roe v. Wade. You've got uh, what's happening with the Ukraine uh, the, uh, border with Putin. And they're on environmental equity because pollution is apparently racist and discriminatory against the BIPOCs. All right, a few other things to mention. Biden's uh, has now brought the foreign-born population in America to 27 million, the largest in history. Uh, I'm not a, a zero immigration absolutist, but we don't have a points-based system. We have an open border. We're trying to bring in refugees from Ukraine at a faster clip. So is that making America stronger that we got a record level of foreign-born? I'm not saying we can't have some. 
but I think we have foreign born in Breitbart. Many of my employees are, and I'll tell you, most of them would agree. It'd be nice if there's a points-based system. Not just try to set a record replacing Americans with foreign born. This is why when people talk about the great replacement, it's a, uh, they try to ascribe racial motives to whoever brings it up is absurd because we're the most foreign born people that are, uh, that we ever had. Right, another MSNBC contributor is going to run for Congress as a Democrat. This is Daniel Goldman, who is one of the impeachment attorneys and one of the least charismatic or likable people on TV. And so he will leave TV and run for Congress as a Democrat. Revolving door between Democrat Party and MSNBC. One thing that's cool that's happening, and I want to put a pre, I want to preview this for next week, is Los Angeles, California has a mayor race going on. And there's three candidates. There's a guy named Kevin DeLeon who doesn't know even a quarter of the Pledge of Allegiance. We played this incredible audio. Well, we should play that next week, Producer Greg. Let's get that handy. Uh, and then Karen Bass, who is a beloved amongst the Democrat establishment. She's very Obama-esque. She's a far-left radical, though she sounds like a normal person when you hear her speak. She's very calm. Um, she seems like a very nice person to have a cup of coffee with. And she was on the fast track, I think, to uh, go uh, very big in Democrat political circles. Someone who I think definitely you could have seen uh, uh, rise up uh, the level of the national ranks towards the very top. And she was seen as basically inevitable to win the Democrat primary in Los Angeles for the mayorship. But because of how bad the crime has gotten, uh, a guy named Rick Caruso, who's a billionaire real, real, uh, real estate developer, famous for a bunch of high-end malls, uh, and he is a Democrat, but he basically has, I mean, most of his positions are kind of Republican positions, though he does pander to the, the pro-choice crowd, which I'm not sure how relevant that is. As mayor in LA, I think your, your hands are pretty much going to be tied on that one. But he's run a really aggressive campaign and pretty clever, and he's got a lot of people on board. A lot of Democrats are on board. He was a Republican, then independent, now a Democrat. But again, there's what's one party town out there. And I think he's now the favorite to win, which is unbelievable because Bass has been inevitable ever since um, uh, this race began. And I follow pretty closely because I got friends out there. Joel Pollock's out there. uh, Breitbart's headquarters is out there. But of L.A., which is a town that has shot itself in the foot consistently since I was growing up there 30 years ago that even they could be shifting in this red wave. It won't be Republican, but it'll be a guy who basically is the same ideas on crime, et cetera, business. So a compelling one to watch. We'll talk to Joel Pollock about that next week. But why wouldn't LA want to change? Owen Wilson's $4,000 Tesla rims and tires stolen outside his LA mansion. What they're doing now is not only is there a lot of smash and grab jewelry stores, they're going to places, high-end parts of town, and they're following famous people and rich people home, and then there are home invasions and robberies when you get to their home. Because the police departments, which are focused on the wrong stuff, and I got friends in the LAPD that are so often focused on the wrong stuff, not because of the beat cops, cops on the street, because of the people who run the police department, they can't handle it. So it's game on for the criminals there. 
I have family members out there who've been there for decades and have been robbed twice recently after never being robbed for the previous decades. And again, what's the priorities out there? The California State Senate has passed bills to allow schools to not report threats. And this is in the wake of the national shock and outrage over the Evaldi, Texas mass shooting. The bill SB 1273 introduced by State Senator Stephen Bradford passed easily just two days after the Evaldi massacre saying you don't have to report threats. Okay, see how that goes. Not much on the Evaldi front yesterday that broke. Uh, Beto O'Rourke had said the AR-15 owners should not be able to keep them, but that's just him toning down his rhetoric. Remember, he is the one who said, hell yeah, you can't keep your AR-15s. So uh, that does not seem like a big advancement, but it's kind of where we're at on that one. And I will close the opening with a, a pretty, pretty interesting story. Another blue wave story. I'm a red wave story. Anti-blue wave, at least. A shocking poll. This is shocking. Push Republican Christine Drazen, who is running for governor in Oregon, slightly ahead of her Democrat competition, Tina Kotek. There's also a independent named Betsy Johnson who's polling highly in that race. But this is a Nelson research poll. And again, we're in the margin of error here in three-way race. But see a Republican in Oregon actually leading a poll at this point could show you the red wave is maybe even bigger than anyone's anticipated. Vanessa Blair is our guest. She is a news producer who's worked with some big people that you're familiar with. And we get into a couple of those. But she was in the room for the Depp Heard trial. And this is a, a new beat of hers that she's hoping to cultivate as a pre- freelance reporter. Uh, she's got great clarity in what were the big moments and provide some insight into what the jury might have been thinking into this long and weird and utterly compelling piece of entertainment that might have some longer takeaways for free speech and the Me Too movement and uh, whether or not it is okay to smear someone just because culturally you feel like you're safe to do that. I think all that comes up in the interview and you'll enjoy it. Vanessa, thanks for joining me on the show. Give me uh, a little intro to you and then sort of your 30,000 foot on what you saw from inside. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. Um, most recently, I uh, produced and created Candace Owens' show over at Daily Wire. Um, and then when I, you know, kind of finished establishing that, it was time for me to move out of Nashville. So after this one, I'll hop over to the Chrisley trial, then the uh, Kardashian trial in L.A., and Jen Shaw in New York. So I've kind of found a new um, footing in this fast-paced uh, celebrity courtroom scandal. Wow, that sounds like a lot of travel and probably a lot of inexpensive hotel rooms and a lot of time that on, on the road in a not glamorous way even to cover sort of glamorous people, which is kind of uh, cool. I admire that. So give me your thoughts on the uh, give me your thoughts on the 30,000 foot, uh, the fact that it became such a a three ring circus, let's say, regardless of whether or not you were clearly on one side or the other. Uh, in terms of if you're rooting for one person or the other, 
I think everyone was kind of surprised at how big this thing got. The most interesting part of it is that it didn't get big locally until Amber took the stand. Uh, nationally, um, I think it was gaining a little traction when Johnny took the stand and you really saw the emotion and how honest he was being because every he doesn't do a lot of press and because he right. hasn't done um, a project in so long because he has been blacklisted from Hollywood, people forgot a little bit about who he was and you really saw him as a human rather than a character since he's just known for playing these over-the-top characters. And I think that's when people started paying attention um, because they felt a connection. Now, locally, you were able to walk into this courthouse anytime until Amber took the stand the first day. And then we started to have to sleep overnight at the courthouse. And there was about 500 people there. Only 100 people were getting in. They were not giving out media passes. So all media is sleeping outside the courtroom with the psychotic death fans. Um, it was a sight to be seen. So um, when Amber was taking the stand, that's when you saw the difference between um, someone who was lying and someone who was telling the truth. And I think a lot of people could relate to that. And that's when it became an international must-watch story. There's something that was interesting uh, watching it from my perspective. I was paying very attention. To, I was paying close attention to the performative elements of it. And Amber Heard was very mopey. Uh, she wore these sort of drab outfits. Johnny Depp was very well tailored. Uh, he seemed to be very polished. And uh, it seemed like he really appreciated that this was going to be a show to some degree. This was going to be entertainment. Some people, she sort of missed the boat on that. Do you think that affected the jury? Do you think that it certainly affected public perception? I think. Absolutely. But what is interesting is her entire team is a mess. Nobody is welcome. Everybody's hair is frizzy and messy. And then Johnny's team is you know, all put together. They're always walking right. very contently. And Amber's team is always frantic. You see the difference even in the teams, even going to the extended witnesses. Whitney, she always looked a mess. Um, so, you, you know, you, you, they usually say you are who your team is. And you pick someone to represent you who resembles you. But when you see it in such, together and they're both such polar opposites of each council, um, it does have an effect on the jury. And, Elaine, which is Amber's um, lead litigator, you know, she wasn't prepared for this courtroom. And that is something the jury took notice of. She was bitter. She was angry when Johnny's team is jovial and they're a family and they're, ve they're very affectionate towards one another, always saying good job, always um, passing notes to like make sure they like hit something. And on Amber's side at her counsel table, the only person running that show is Amber. And like I said to everyone else, it's like, look at how Amber treated the people that were giving her gold, giving her and her family places to live, giving her $5,000 bottle of wine a night. How is she treating the people she's hiring? Yeah, one yeah. thing that seemed to seem to define the, the trial was that even though they're both actors, uh, Johnny was able to have some authentic uh, authenticity come through. Uh, the memes of him online, uh, it was not just a joke. He was thinking on his feet. He was actually paying attention to what was being asked of him. He wasn't just giving talking exactly. points when they, when they were asking him about, you know, was there cocaine in this tub? And then he would say, well, uh, I, I don't know, but it certainly could have could 
could be used to hold yeah. cocaine. Like stuff like that is, it was objectively hilarious to watch. And Amber Heard got caught contradicting herself at least three occasions, maybe more. Oh, yeah. The whole trial, because it was prepared. It was rehearsed. Um, as her acting coach says, she has trouble crying. And we saw that firsthand. And the jury did notice. Uh, we had a very, very young jury. The, there was one member of the jury who is in his 50s. Every other jury member is under 40. So they're understanding tweeting. They're understanding metadata. They're understanding authenticity. They grew up in the social media age. They are looking for that authenticity. They're not looking for soap opera. So what were some of the key moments for you? Let me ask uh, specifically about one that jumped out at me was the Kate Moss um, testimony where it was she was kind of cited as someone who Johnny could have abused. And she comes out and says, "Uh, uh-uh, not me. Uh, that seemed like a big one. I think that was really big for everyone outside of the courtroom. By that time, the jury, I believe the jury has made up their mind. Wow. And because... Yeah, and because this jury, one of the reasons they were chosen, were not very familiar with Hollywood, with celebrity, um, I don't think they understood Johnny's past with women or any past um, accusations. And, like, it was great to have somebody there that was like, you know, Amber said this happened. It didn't. I think it played more to Amber's a liar rather than Johnny's not an abuser. Yes, um, and this is something that's true that I think did come through through and that seemed to really be the key that that hurt her i think the most was that it just came through that she was dishonest not that he was some sort of a great guy just that he was right. a, a real person and we didn't feel like we got to know her any better um i think during the trial for those of us who watch from afar and but it, but what, from the jury's perspective what do you think um the jury definitely did not connect with her um and that is something she really tried to focus on. She actually would speak to the jury. Now, I, I don't think you can see, but on TV, the jury is two and a half, three feet away from the witness stand. They are right there. And she is pretending to cry and having these big highs and big lows of emotion. Everything Dr. Curry said she would have and doing it right in front of them, like three feet away. And they can't look at her. Number nine, who is absolutely one of our favorite jurors to always look at. Um, he's an Asia, a young Asian man, uh, around 35, super cool, wears a chain, has like this nice buzz cut, super trendy, and he would just start laughing at her when she was trying to pull these tears out. He, and in the courtroom, we would too. We were just like, what is this? It was, we've never seen anything that performative. Um, and a lot, and that also goes to a lot of her witnesses. Um, Dr. Spiegel starts plugging his own book while he's on testimony and starts um, arguing back with Johnny's counsel. Again, another big moment for the jury, start laughing at her, uh, at her witnesses. When the jury is now not trusting you, not trusting your witness, and not, not trusting your counsel, who when they can remember to put on a mic, doesn't even really have something that much to offer with their objections, they notice that because they see it as a waste of time. This jury has been there for six weeks. So when Elaine starts objecting over and over and the judge doesn't, you know, and the judge just overrules, the jury is over it and they just see her as disrespectful and desperate. And that all reflects back on Amber. And that is really what Amber's performance was, disrespectful and desperate. 
Uh, Vanessa Blair is on with me. She is a news producer, and she covers the Johnny Depp trial with with the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial from inside the courtroom. Vanessa underscore Blair for her Instagram, which I recommend. Uh, do you think the jury thought both were bad or just Amber? Because I think a lot of the consensus of people from Watch From Afar was they both don't come off as great, though he comes off as far more credible, but not necessarily like a great guy. I think they were, they had a, the jury had a lot of compassion. Um, one really breaking moment was uh, juror number five, who is a woman, an Asian woman, probably mid-20s, um, very conservatively dressed, hair usually up. On um, rebuttal day, she wore her hair down, which I know sounds very simple, but with jury, we kind of look for any tell. And um, she was, she always during the trial was taking notes when the rest of the jury wasn't. So we were like, oh, she's leaning more towards Amber. And you could see her nod a little more towards Amber. And we actually thought she could hold up um, the jury and make it a hung jury. But during rebuttal, during Camille's final closing argument rebuttal, she completely turned her chair towards Camille, put her notebook on the ground and leaned in. And that was when Camille was going over everything Johnny has been through and all the lies that have been spewed about him, all the work that he's lost and how he was a real victim. And she leaned into that physically, physically and never looked back at Amber again. So that was one of the biggest moments watching the jury. Um, and that's how, when we pretty much knew Johnny's fate, uh, fate was sealed and it would be a win for him. So do you think that it was her testimony uh, that was the key? Was there a moment that you think that really sealed it for, for Johnny? I believe each juror had their own moment. We believe juror number six, uh, who is a white older man in his 50s, um, could relate to some of the addiction and that he had a lot of compassion for that. So they we saw each juror's tell. It wasn't one collective, oh, I believe him. Um, like I said, juror number nine who was laughing at everything, he decided, I would say, on Tuesday. Like, he was done. He stopped writing notes. He started showing a lot of emotion and laughing at Elaine and laughing at Amber, Amber. Um, so it, they really played on each individual jury. And I really, and they took a lot of time with that because they had to hit a lot of different points. Um, overall, as a collective in the courtroom, I think when you saw Amber's witnesses, because each one was less credible than the next. Dr. Hughes, Dr. Spiegel, uh, all of her friends that don't talk to her anymore. But it was even more glaring in person that how many people showed up for death to testify for hours on the stand. And the most Amber's witnesses could do is say, well, we're not friends anymore, but we're not enemies. Not a great look. Do you think that this went on longer than you expected? It seemed like it just went on and on and on, all things considered. So the judge did put a cap of six weeks on it, um, Monday through Thursday, 61 hours per, per counsel. Um, I think it was necessary due to the high profile nature of the case number one the and the fact that we had the counterclaims because that added an entirely new court case almost 
Um, she, you know, she had something to prove. He had something to disprove. So I think the amount of time was appropriate for the amount for the charges because you needed a lot of witnesses rather than evidence since, um, you know, it was based on his charges were based on his character. And another point to the jury, though, is if she had medical records, if she had one doctor that says he broke her, uh, he, Johnny broke her nose twice, I fixed it, here are the x-rays, I think this could have been done in the first week. And I think the judge, when they entered all of their evidence months before court started, I think if the judge saw that there was hardcore evidence for Amber to be in the right, uh, this probably would have been done in three weeks. I think this is a, an important point because it seemed like just watching from our perspective uh, at Breitbart where we weren't covering every detail but covering a number of them that, you know, when things like she was claiming that the, she was claiming X injury and then it looks like mm -hmm. it, it was photoshopped or it wasn't quite as bad as she was testifying it was, it just kind of makes you not trust her at all, period. Exactly. And she's literally saying she was walking on glass he punched her. He broke her nose. She was on the ground. She was fearing for her life. The next day, she's on the James Corden show. Like, that's really hard to prove that you were, yeah. you really thought you were going to die and that this man was going to hurt you. Plus, she said she was walking on glass. The next day, there's paparazzi photos of her at the airport, like walking through the airport. The jury isn't stupid. You know, they are going to see through you, but even they're just going to see the facts. Like, it's impossible. You know, you get one thing in your shoe and you have to, like, you know, take your shoe off and get the pebble out. Um, so her claims just really didn't hold up. And I think that's why it had to go on so long as it did. Uh, do you think that this is a, a, a do you think Johnny Depp won over the jury or do you think it was mostly they looked at it and she lost them? Do you think it's, it was, or maybe a combination of both? I think definitely a combination of both. They were definitely open. I do not believe anybody in there was biased just based on body language and um, the note taking the intent on listening to both parties, witnesses, um, I think Johnny had, you know, he had a lot of work to do and he has to get someone on your side. Did Amber make it easier by being so unlikable and obviously lying in court? Um, yes. You know, her, she did not have evidence. She did not have facts. And then she would try to blame the court. She'd be like, well, the court didn't let us. We had great evidence and the court wouldn't let us enter it. Well, the court only doesn't let you enter it if they know it's fake or it's photoshopped. The only reason the court let in the photoshopped images we did see is because Johnny's counsel did not object because they wanted to use it against her to show that she photoshopped the images in the metadata. And again, young jury, they love the graphs, they love the metadata, any charts they were leaning in. Um, so they really took to that. And she characterized herself by not having the proof that she needed. And that was enough for the jury. I, I think that the Depp team kind of became stars in their own right. Uh, tell us about the, oh, the their their team and who they were and were they known to be super high quality attorneys because they kind of became the stars of the trial in some ways. 
So Johnny's counsel was led by Ben Chu. He's here in D.C., local, and he um, works a lot in politics, the DOD, um, and he's, he's done a lot of these cases before, and he is just cool, calm, collective, as the judge has called him, is snarky, but uh, respectfully snarky. Um, but he, he seems like a very decent, well-liked guy with a lot of experience, um, especially in high-profile cases where there's a lot to lose, um, especially when you're, you know, you're working on behalf of the nation at times. Um, now, Camille is just an associate, and she is based in Newport. She does focus heavily on um, a lot of cases that have to do with lying. And just re- so she's used to catching someone in a lie and calling them out. And then there were a couple other so- um, associates in the back. Wayne Dennison, who he was the older man. Um, he, he's a partner uh, as well as Chu. And he had such an interesting take. He let people walk into their lives rather than Camille wants to catch you in it. Wayne mm-hmm. would repeat questions four times in four different ways until you contradicted yourself. And then he would leave it with a mic drop. Um, so, for example, he asked one of the witnesses at the end who just walked into a lie, like, do you, um, what are you doing in the courtroom? And he said, you know, I'm a big believer of justice. And he goes, yeah, me too, right after he caught him in a lie. And is like, no further questions. So they each had their own tactic. Um, yeah. I, do think, I do think that this is the most high-profile, high-celebrity case that they've ever had. And it did become a little bit of a circus um, at the courtroom, you know, at, especially when Johnny left. By that time, Camille and Ben, in their own right, are celebrities. And Elaine notices that. And Amber's team notices that the entire gallery, I would say 95% is there for Johnny and they know that. And it's very uncomfortable for her. Vanessa, I got about 90 seconds. Uh, I want to get your hot take on me too. Was me too already dead? Is it dead now? Uh, Are there any big picture takeaways from the trial or was it just sort of entertaining? No, I think now is the time that people are going to second guess accusatory, making accusatory statements. And it is put more weight on it. If anything, Me Too means more now because it's only for real victims. I think that's a very important point uh, that it seems like it had been cheapened from something that was pretty noble for five minutes at the beginning and then immediately got cheapened. And now maybe there could be some integrity. Uh, but uh, who's to say? It's only time is going to tell on that. What about the issue of free speech? Do you think that um, Amber Heard, as she claimed, was a silence from her right to speak out? Free speech does not include lying. It includes speaking truthfully. And I think that is what people are going to take away from this. You have to speak the truth. The truth, yeah. Once you get into your truth stuff clearly dangerous this day and age. Thanks, Vanessa. Appreciate it. Vanessa underscore Blair again for her Instagram. That's all for today's broadcast. Thanks to producers Zach and Greg Eben and Robert Marlowe, who helps me pick topics. And of course, to all of you who've told 10,000 friends and family members about the show and everything we do at Breitbart.com. I'll talk to you soon. And I won't apologize.